on Sunday nights for at least the next six weeks, Lord willing, I want to follow up or build on what we talk about on Sunday morning. And so if I was going to give a title to this, it's really more of a, a talk about victory than, um, than a sermon. But I would call it this. I would call it Faith is the Victory. And you know a hymn by that name. But you may not realize that that is also the truth that Scripture teaches. As we have talked about victory this morning, uh, we talked about it in the context of a fight, a battle, and that is the truth. But I want to try to keep it really simple tonight. And all this week, I have, I have um, looked at dozens and dozens of Scripture passages that talk about victory and that talk about our reward in heaven and that put victory in that context. And so tonight, I don't know what you're facing, what you're experiencing, or what you're struggling with, but I want to encourage you tonight, and I'm praying that the Holy Spirit would encourage you with the truth about what God is doing at this moment in your life. So if you're facing a really tough time, may God's Word and His Spirit be encouraging to you. The first passage of Scripture I want to look at tonight is found in 1 John chapter 5 and verse 4. It will be on the screen. You can go ahead and bring that up, 1 John 5 verse 4. And then if you want to follow along in your Bible and make notes in your Bible, you can do that, especially since we don't have a, have a handout tonight. 1 John chapter 5, verse 4, one verse of Scripture, and this is what the Apostle writes, for whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And every Christian here tonight has been born of God. You can't be a Christian unless he's done something in you to change you and make you something different, to make you one of his own. And so, when you've been born of God, everything, whatever is born of God, overcomes the world. And he says, and this is the victory that has overcome the world. What is it? Our faith. Our faith. I don't know if you get philosophical, but sometimes when you're down or when you're low, you get philosophical. Why did God make me? Why did God put me here? We see it. In Job, he's asking questions like that. Why was I even born? And when times are tough, it's not, it's not difficult at all to go there. Why did God make me? And sometimes the quick answer that we give would be to say, well, God made you so that he could save you, so that he could redeem you, so that he could um, rescue you from this world. And yet, that is not why God made you. God made you for himself. God made you ultimately to be conformed to the image of his son, to be like Jesus. God made you so that you would be his son or his daughter. And so you were made for fellowship with God. You were made for a relationship with God. And the foundation of that relationship in a world where I can't see him or touch him or audibly hear his voice the whole foundation of that relationship to him becomes one of faith. And so faith becomes extremely important. And when we talk about living in a world where everything in this world is designed to keep you from trusting him, to keep you from knowing him, the whole world system is designed to keep you from living your life 
in the reality of who God is. That that person who's born of God is a person who's, who sees him with the eyes of faith, who hears him with the ears of faith, who talks to him and hear him, hear, hears God speak back to them on the basis of faith. So here's what I want you to do for just a moment. I want you to turn to your neighbor. I just want you to say this. I want to grow in my faith. Would you turn to your neighbor and just say that? I want to grow in my faith. Go ahead. Don't just stare at them. <laughs> say it. I want to grow in my faith. Second scripture I want us to look at tonight. 1 Corinthians 9, verses 24 to 25. 1 Corinthians 9, verses 24 to 25. And again, this will be on the screen. And uh, we're going to look at another passage in 1 Corinthians in just a moment. But right now, 1 Corinthians 9, verses 24 and 25. Here's what the apostle writes. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. You see, contrary to an approach to athletics where everybody gets a trophy, In the real world, there are winners and losers. And amen. <laughs> and in the spiritual realm, there are winners and losers. And as the verse goes on, he says, and everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown. It was like a little wreath of celery that they would wear on their head. Um, they do it to obtain a perishable crown, just going to rot. But we, for an imperishable crown, and for the successive Sunday nights, one of the things I want to do is to look at the crowns in the New Testament that are named. There are crowns that are just referred to in general, but there are crowns that are named because I think in doing that, you and I can see that a crown is given to someone for victory. When I was in high school, I ran track and field and in, uh, outside Dayton, Ohio. And that's where we were stationed at the time. My dad was in the Air Force. And I ran a lot of different things, but my, my heart race was the quarter mile. It'd be 400 meters today. But in our day, it was a quarter mile, 440 yards. And... I would run on some occasions as many as three or four or five quarters in a track meet because you would have the open quarter where you just run once around the track against a bunch of people. And then we would have the mile relay where four of us, each one of us would run a quarter mile and hand the baton off to the other person. And if there were preliminaries in those events, then you would run it one time in each. If there were semifinals, you would run it again. And then if there were finals, you would do it a third time. And so I ran as many as five and six quarters. I was not the fastest guy who could run a quarter mile, but I was consistent. And I could turn out the same time over and over and over and over again, which was frustrating, but I could do it. <laughs> and, and, um, and so in the course of my high school career, we set the school record for the mile relay. It has never been broken. 
You know why? Because they don't run mile relays anymore. <laughs> they, they run 1,600-meter relays. And uh, so the record has always stood for all these years. And, uh, and so when you won the race, there was your team, your team won. The others, they lost, man. And only one person or one relay group would win the prize. What Paul's describing here is that there's a way, in this particular case, of relating to your body and the sinful desires of your body in terms of not subjecting yourself to whatever your body wants to do, but in turn causing your body to be submissive to you and to do what you want it to do for the sake of, of um, following the Lord. He says when you do that, we do that, he says, to receive a crown that does not fade. It's imperishable. And as we study the other crowns in, in coming Sunday nights, those crowns are given because the individual who receives the crown experienced a measure of victory in their life. And just like I'll always be known as the guy that helped set the school record in the mile relay, well, there's that guy. Not. <laughs> or somebody else that, that really has done something, you know, famous. We see them well, as long as they live, they're always known as the guy that set the record in this or the gal that set the record in this sport or, or that sort of thing. In a very similar way in heaven, uh, you and I will be known, part of our story will be known for the victories that were won in our life. That characteristic in the believer will be known, that believer will be known for that characteristic throughout the rest of eternity. This is, this is very different. We put such emphasis on salvation by grace through faith that I don't earn my salvation, that it's a matter of God's gift to me, that the idea of rewards uh, given in response to the way I've lived or conducted my life seems almost foreign. We haven't studied enough about it. And the scripture has much to say about it. But we're going to be focusing primarily on the crown. So crown's given for victory. I believe a crown becomes how you are known through eternity. And, um, and so I'd like you to bow your head for just a moment before we read the next scripture. And, um, and would you pray with me? And let this be a prayer of your heart. God, I want to be known as a person who had some victories. I want to be known as a person who trusted you. I want to be known as a person who looked for you in every circumstance for what you were doing and what you were trying to accomplish in my life at that moment. And thank you for hearing us, Lord. Amen. I want you to go to the left now in Corinthians to chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 10. 1 Corinthians 3, verse 10. We'll look at this scripture and one other. I've referred to this one in passing in sermons, but I want to take a moment tonight just to pause on it. In context, Paul is dealing with a church that is divided over personalities. 
in 1 Corinthians 3, he talks about the divisions that are in the church because certain individuals are saying, I am of Paul, I am of Apollos. Some spiritual ones are saying, well, we're of Jesus. <laughs> and, and so they were dividing into these different groups. And Paul is trying to say that, that the personality that maybe blessed you, that God used to influence you or teach you in some way, that that, that, that personality is going to be accountable to God one day for what he or she did. And God will be the judge of the value of their work. Um, and you and I don't need to judge other people in the value of their life and their work. But this is what he says in, um, in verse 10. According to the grace of God which was given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another builds on it. But let each one take heed how he builds on it. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become clear. For the day will declare it. And the word day is a reference to judgment day. It's referred to as the day. Because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss. But he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. And so when you trust Christ, there's a foundation laid in your life. You are saved. Your sins are forgiven. And heaven is your new home. No question about it. And the Holy Spirit has come to live in you. Now, what you do with this life is the foundation or basis for reward and judgment in the believer's life in your future. What you do with this new life. It's not a matter of whether you're saved or going to be lost. It has everything to do with the nature of reward in eternity. And so he describes it in, in terms of what are you building on this foundation. He talks about building materials. Some of those building materials are precious, gold, silver, precious stones. Others are wood, hay, and straw. And how is this work tested, this, this life that you've built? You know, if I was just building something, I may, may love Jesus and I may read his word, but as I, as I build on that life, if really what I'm building is about my self-interest and what was important to me and what I wanted to accomplish with my life, and I build that, and then the fire comes, what's left? If it was wood, hay, and straw. So, so it's a sobering text, and it's a challenging text. Not all works are the same. Now, I will argue, based on the scriptures we read, and the last one we're going to read in just a moment, that what sort of work, when he talks about the fire's going to come, and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is in verse 13. What sort it is. I believe the difference between a work that is precious to God and a work that burns up in the fire is the difference between the exercise of faith and the absence of faith. Are you with me? That the thing that is most precious to God is my faith. That's the victory. That's what overcomes the world. That's what he wants most from my, my life is my trust in him. And so those things that I do as a consequence of faith, you can never lose. 
because you're simply trusting the Lord. God, as best I understand, this is what you want me to do with my life. And I'm, I'm conducting my life believing that this is what you have for me and this is what you want for me. And, and you're constructing something. And then one day it comes and it's tested. When my wife and I married on our wedding night, um, and every time we crossed the, uh, the I-40 bridge going to Memphis, I always point out the place where we stayed. It's right on the river. Um, she and I prayed together that night. And we got down on our knees and I prayed what I thought was just a basic, simple prayer. I thought it was a great prayer to start. And I said, Lord, God, would you make me a man of faith? And there have been times where my wife has reminded me, why in the world did you pray that prayer? <laughs> and usually at moments where great faith was required to get through the experience that we were having at that moment. And, um, and yet, as young as I was, I had some basic understanding that that was the thing that God most wanted for me. And that is what he wants most from you. And he wants you and I to build our lives with faith in him, doing what we're doing, because he has led us to do it. Would you pray with me again? Father, together as a church, together as your people, together as your sons and your daughters, Father, would you make us a people of faith? Would you create in us a desire to know you through faith, to know you through your mighty works and your mighty actions that come when we are put in a place where we must trust you? Amen. The last scripture I want to call your attention to is 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. And I'm going to close with this one, 1 Peter 1, verses 6 and 7. Um, you know, so many times you and I get frustrated with, with circumstances that we're experiencing. Uh, I don't know, maybe you don't, but, but I know that I have. And it seems that nothing's going right at a particular moment in time, or something doesn't change, or something doesn't get better, or maybe I prayed and prayed, and when I pr whatever I'm praying about, it actually gets worse <laughs> instead of better. So don't ask me to pray for you. Um, you know, there are just those times in the believer's life where, where that's happening. And we can get so frustrated that, if you're honest, you could turn to the Lord and say, God, what are you doing? Why are you doing this to me? And that's not a bad question, because you're beginning to realize that maybe what you're expecting and what you're after and what you're pursuing in this relationship with God may be different than what He is pursuing and what He is after in your life. In the book of James, he says, count it all joy when you fall in the various trials. To rejoice, knowing that the, the testing produces something in you. In Romans chapter 5, he talks about the same thing. He's saying that tribulation worketh patience in the King James, and, and, and that patience ultimately produces hope. And hope is an exaggerated form of faith because I'm having confidence in something that's going to happen in the future. And so God often uses our greatest difficulties and our greatest challenges and the times when we seem to be at the darkest moment of our life could actually be a moment when you have the opportunity to win one of your greatest victories. 
Now, I know that's counterintuitive to what we experience, but sometimes a victory doesn't look like what we think a victory should look like. Sometimes a victory is not the good guy whooping up on all the bad guys like in a Hollywood film. Sometimes the victory is being at the absolute end of all of your resources and saying, God, I don't know what's going on, and I don't know what you're trying to do, but I am trusting you. No matter what happens, no matter what is happening, I trust you. Peter describes this when he describes the salvation that the people he's writing to have received, and that's you and me. We have received the salvation. And he says in verse 6, in this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. Do you identify with that? Have you been grieved by various trials? If you're a new believer, just hang on. They come. A trial is a tough time. A trial is a difficult time. And then he says this, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, verse 7, that the genuineness of your faith, being more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found, now skip all those other words, may be found at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That your faith, when Jesus comes, may be found. Now, look, we'll fill in the blanks now. May be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, those words, to praise, honor, and glory, Jesus comes back. Faith is found in your life. Praise, honor, and glory, is that what I'm doing? Or, in fact, is that what Jesus is bestowing on me? Well, in the original language, it's what Jesus is bestowing on the believer. Praise, my son. Honor, my son. Glory to my son who has trusted me, trusted me, believed in me, loved me. When nothing in his circumstances, nothing in his experience would have supported that. When you feel completely defeated and overcome by circumstances and adversity, you may be winning your greatest victory. Not defeat, but victory. Because you simply continued to put your trust in Him. Faith is the victory. We're going to have a time of response. How do you need to respond? If you were just to turn out all the lights and just take everybody else out of the room, just you and the Lord, and at this very moment you were to come to a place where you were standing before the Lord, and He were to say, talk to me about your faith. What would you say to him? What are you trusting him for at this moment in your life? 
Maybe you're going through a test, a trial, an excruciatingly difficult and scary time in your life. Could you turn to him and say, Lord, this is, this is hard, but I'm trusting you. Are you at a place in your life where perhaps you have never trusted Jesus and you're ready tonight to surrender to him your whole life? Holding nothing back. You know that he died for you on the cross. He died for your sin. But have you trusted him for forgiveness? Or are you still trying to make up for things you did? You know, he says, he's given you his Holy Spirit if you trust him. And the Holy Spirit's job is to change you from the inside out. And we need to trust him to change us to produce in us the life of Christ. Are you trusting him to do that? Are you in a battle with some kind of sin habit and you are frustrated, but are you giving up, quitting? Or are you saying, Lord, I don't know what it's going to take to win, but Father, I'm trusting you to change me and to take this out of my life, to make me a new man, a new woman. How do you need to trust him tonight? If you've never trusted him before as your Lord and Savior, the Christian life begins at that moment. And there'll be pastors standing at the end of each aisle. They'll be happy to counsel with you and share scripture with you. You can read for yourself how a person is born again, how they, by trusting Jesus, can have a new life. Maybe you're struggling with faith. Maybe you're, you're walking with a huge burden, and it is challenging your faith at every turn, and you just need someone to pray with you. People use this response time as a time of worship. Use it as a time to respond to him. What are you trusting him for tonight? Pray with me. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the victory that we can have, no matter what else is happening in our life, that we can turn to you in that moment, and we can reach out to you, and we can cry out to you, and we can trust you, that you love us, that your work to bring something good in a way that we can't understand. That we can trust you that you have never abandoned us, even though circumstances may suggest you have. That no matter what's happening, you have taught us that faith is the victory. For that dear one who needs to trust you tonight as Lord and Savior, Melt their heart, draw them to yourself so that they'll do that. For the dear one who's trying to live under a load that is greater than they can bear, enable them tonight to trust you and your people to lighten that load, to come and climb into your yoke and to discover that life in you changes everything. For that dear one that needs to be encouraged, we pray that someone would be able to pray with them tonight before they leave so that their hearts can be strengthened and encouraged to keep trusting you. Fathers, we respond to you now. Holy Spirit, would you lead, guide, direct us, touch us, 
Lead us in these moments, we pray.